Welcome to Fast Break, the interview podcast with digital shakers and movers, presented by Armin Farsi. Hello, Craig. Welcome to another episode of Fast Break. Happy to have you. And actually, the listeners can't see, but we were planning something else. We ended up in this hotel restaurant now, but in fact, talking about the future of mobility, we wanted to sit in a Tesla Model S, I think, at one of the charger stations here in Munich, but it's so, so raining here that I actually had to change clothes just now. Uh, that, that's for the intro. So, Craig, thank you very much for joining. Um, can you give us a quick ride through your biography? What makes you that knowledgeable about um, mobility, the future aspects of it, and also, you know, uh, the digital uh, topics of, of mobility as well? Yeah, perfect. Uh, Armand, thanks for the invite. Uh, yeah, so uh, where do I come from? Uh, as you probably hear, I'm an American. I uh, ended up here in Munich, uh, started falling in love with cars back in 2000, where I was lucky enough to work for a small startup inside the BMW group called Mini. Uh, also, <laughs> which was a startup back then. You which was, uh, in the sense, all senses of the word, uh, a true startup. It's got me in love with cars. And I um, realized that there's an amazing amount of mm, not only emotion in mobility, but uh, there, there's also a responsibility in mobility. And then I had my two girls come into our world or out of our world, however you want to say. And I, I started to realize that there's actually got to be more towards or to getting around than just, um, just image and uh, speed. So I uh, started to look at this idea of electric cars. And back in the mid 2005, 2006 range, there wasn't much going on, but I, I heard about a company out of California called, uh, called uh, Wired Magazine, and they did a presentation on a Tesla Roadster. And so I was sort of kind of mm -hmm. sort of following these guys, and I thought, these guys are really crazy, and my colleagues working at Mini also agreed with me. But then I, I sat down and wrote a letter over to California, to Elon Musk, and, and basically said, uh, this is what I could see happening. And, and, and that seemed to be very nice timing because that was the exact period that, that Tesla was expanding into other markets. So in effect, uh, shortly thereafter, I became one of the first employees, if not the first employee in Europe, setting up the, setting up the, the brand Tesla. Okay, so, so uh, step by step. So you were working with BMW at a safe job, uh, working on the mini project that back then was more a startup, you call it. I don't even recall that time. I was, I think, no, I was just graduating from high school in 2000. So, um, and then you find out about Tesla through the Wired magazine, and you write Elon Musk a letter. I mean, Elon Musk today is more or less an icon for people my, let's say, generation. How did that happen? How did you write an email or a letter to Elon Musk? Well, I was always a fairly straightforward person, and uh, I felt like a thought would be appreciated if someone had that kind of vision that uh, you could share that you agree. And I think back then that was greatly appreciated, especially coming from across the, the world, coming from Europe. And since this was, a, I think, a target, a next uh, growth target for for the company, it just made natural sense. But I believe that what really um, what really got me to do this was the fact that um, you you have to you have to sometimes in your life really reassess um, where which direction things can go. And I, I clearly saw that um, that uh, life in an urban situation. I mean, Munich is not the biggest uh, city around, but I already did notice that things started to get a little bit more crowded, a little bit louder. The air was not quite as good, and you start asking yourself questions. And then you start thinking, "Well, there's a couple of guys over there that are really crazy, really focused, and their idea might might have something uh, to it." And if you put that together with your thoughts, and, and someone agrees with you. Um, yeah, it's it's worth the step. However, everyone around me thought I was absolutely crazy. What did your wife say? Uh, my wife said, I hope you know what you're doing. <laughs> okay. And, and back then, what car, uh, Tesla, was it the Roadster? Which model did they have? Back the then? Roadster was the, the Roadster. only car around. And basically, when I started up, there was only 12 cars made. And only one car. 12 pieces, you mean 12, 12 items? 12 pieces, and they were just validation prototypes. And I had one of them that I was able to use to address the early reservation holders and to convince them to give the company Tesla Motors 50,000 euros in exchange for an email that says that their car is reserved and hopefully it will arrive soon. 
So that's how they started. When was that? You were, were talking about 2008? 2000, um, November 2008, roughly, is when I started uh, with Tesla. Okay. And then how long were you with the company? And we, we might come back to um, your insights within Tesla in a minute, but uh, just to finish that up, how long were you with Tesla and what did you do next? Uh, um, basically up until the pre-launch of the Model S. Uh, as you know, the cars have been sometimes late to market. So there was a there was a slight delay for the Model S. It was the first car that they built themselves, mm -hmm. and so there was a, there was a change in Europe. And so I, uh, like some of my other colleagues at, at Tesla, went in other in, in other ways. In when other was that? Which year? That, that would have been in 2011, late 2011. So you were three years basically with Tesla. Right. Yeah. And what did you do then? Um, basically, I was the sales and marketing director for Europe. No, I mean after Tesla. Sorry. Uh, after after Tesla. After Tesla. Oh, yeah. Shortly after Tesla, I founded my own company. The current company that I currently um, maintain, and uh, set up Fisker Automotive as a second brand that came to Europe. This is a hybrid electric car from Henrik Fisker, and I was the oper operator uh, operations director for Europe, setting up uh, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. However, this uh, was a, also a short-term venture because the, some of the technology was not um, quite ready for the street, and the company had to find other. Uh, solutions for its future. It still does exist, but mm -hmm. in other ownership. And then I proceeded to consult and support uh, other startups, uh, OEMs, car manufacturers, to move in the direction of electric, supporting them in all the topics from sales and marketing through to operations, through to understanding um, how product works, how consumers react, uh, and, and, and how actually the path to clean emissions mobility could look. And I guess you must be a quite, let's say, busy uh, consultant these days with, I assume, a lot of panic in the boardrooms of the big car manufacturers. And let's get to that uh, also in a bit. The company you run now is called Clean, Clean, Clean Green, Green Fast. Fast. Clean That's Green the Fast. consulting entity exactly. or that unit that you work as a consultant for. Exactly. This. And the, one of the reasons Clean Green Fast is being a, being a um, catalyst for clean movement. Uh, and at that time, I was also very much focused in racing which was also very interesting, using racing as a benchmark for performance technology as well as for an emotional highlight for uh, driving the emotional branding of electric, yeah? that, that electric cars don't have to be boring. In fact, are, certainly are not. They can be very sexy and fast as you well. You mean because they might have had some sort of a nerdy image back in the, I don't know, 2000s or 2000s. tree hugging techy nerdy yeah. image people who want to shower cold or um, <laughs> uh, you know uh, and, and, I, and I think that what what, uh, what we can really see right now is that um, electric cars can have superior performance to every other car or any other car ever made and that's mm -hmm. where we are right now I can tell you're convinced of that so um, just looking back or taking one step back and kind of in the rear mirror as a review, so many disruptions happening in the, let's say, mobility industry, not only automotive. What are, would you think, the overriding mega trends or drivers for all these developments that we're experiencing now? And all of, I would think more or less coming all of a sudden, the past, I would think, five to 10 years, right? I guess in 2005, six, seven, there was a completely different, let's say, stability in the market. What happened since then? Why is there so much shaking going on? <laughs> well, I think, I think <clears throat> some of them are more obvious than others. I think that the digital, quote-unquote, digital transformation, the arrival of having all the information and access to information that you need at all times in your pocket is a huge, uh, huge change that we've, uh, we've, we've, we've embedded ourselves in a, a virtual world, connected world. Um, secondly, I think that um, a lot of people don't like to hear this, but uh, the issue of an environmental crisis, a climate crisis, is in some places more evident than others. Um, I think air quality, uh, noise, pollution, uh, the stress of urban living, the search for a parking space, all these things have driven people to re sort of reassess what it means to be mobile, or if they need to be mobile at all. Um, could they be virtually somewhere else, or, or do they need to be physically somewhere, and how? And I think um, the, the, the other is that we have um, experienced a, uh, what they call a sector coupling between mobility and energy and data. That means that mm -hmm. we are moving past uh, an age of uh, energy just coming out of a, uh, a socket, uh, or data just coming out of a 
wire, uh, we were able to uh, gain these datas and energies and carry them with us. And this offers us a chance to really catapult ourselves into completely new um, realms of interacting with people in a, real, in, a, in, a, in a real sense or in a virtual sense. So I think that's some of the main drivers. Uh, and then obviously um, there is something happening in the car industry uh, that, uh, that, um, uh, that um, allows us to sort of reassess what we have been buying the last 100 years. Um, we have realized through something called Dieselgate that perhaps what has been being sold to us uh, in all of its marketing beauty and and uh, and uh, and and image relevant um, image relevant connection may in fact be something uh, that is not good for us in the long run uh, really is uh, killing us and so the car industry with the diesel gate had to come really to terms with keeping their promises to consumers and mm -hmm. really leading consumers with a responsible in a responsible direction. I think all these things come together, uh, allowing everyone to sort of sit back and sort of reassess where this goes next. Yeah, and then in <clears throat> actually preparation for this uh, conversation, going through all the media coverage, etc. so, so many things happening around mobility, um, right? You have on the one hand, all the usage types that are changing from owning to sharing, etc. You have the different drive systems you mentioned yourself, hybrid, electric, um, um, fuel of cell. course, fuel cell, the traditional combustion engine still around. Um, then the vehicle types, right, with new things arising, just currently the big topic, e-scooters and uh, hearing of these startups that are around for just a year or two, like Lime or Bird already valued a, a few billion dollars. Amazing things happening. And uh, when you look at it today, what do you see as, let's say, the most interesting or relevant developments um, coming from what you just explained has happened? What then is going to be, let's say, relevant for the next few years to come. What's your perspective on that? Well, I think you mentioned a lot of them. I would add maybe to that um, also a surprise uh, development, which was the peer-to-peer, -peer, the accept acceptance of peer-to-peer -peer car sharing, uh, so, sort of coming out of the back of urban uh, car micro-rental or, or uh, ride-hailing. So you mean I own a car, but you, you can a, use it and you pay me per minute mileage, whatever? Exactly. So a number of platforms came out of, uh, out of again, these digital domains. They were purely test balloons. Um, the initial focus groups and the initial um, thoughts on this were that they would never happen in my country. This is an automobile country here. I speak of the market we're in now, yeah. Germany. Uh, do do uh, you have this in Germany? Um, because I've never used it myself, to be honest. Um, sure you do. So um, the first uh, the first startups were coming out of, or that I recognize, were coming out of France, um, launched in cities like Berlin. So really... Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, what are their names? Um, the first was called... Well, the first that I came into contact was Drivey. Uh -huh. uh, this is apart from, say, carpooling apps. You know, that was some of the really er first sharing, but that's active sharing, ride hailing, blah, blah, car, uh, carpooling.com, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But this then went over towards um, the 2009 launch, 2008 launch of Car2Go and Drive Now, which was known before as 60 Club. It was actually an initiative of Sixth Rental Company. I know this because I, <clears throat> I was one of the first users of the um, a 60 club uh, car car rental in 2009. I was like the 29th user, and I was using the car because I needed to have a way to get to the Tesla Roadster because I would have to find a place to put it on charge and then drive back to my uh, back to my office. So that's kind of how I found out about it. So I was already sort of stitching together a seamless mobility of my own uh, at that time. Obviously, Drive Now didn't have any electric cars in it, but. Then uh, the first one I got into touch with after that was Drivey, and it was coming out of France, launched in Berlin. And on this app, you could basically locate a car of any make, model, age, price level that someone owned and would put that on the map, and you could then write to them and, and sort of Airbnb their car before Airbnb. How does that Airbnb. work with a key? And there, there are um, telematics boxes that can be connected to the car now, and you can have keyless entry. If you've had enough rentals and, the, and everyone feels comfortable enough with your service level, then you can have this installed at a price. And then that way you don't even have to 
meet that person anymore if you want to hand over the car. It's all done virtually. Interesting. Over, okay. over an app. And, so peer-to-peer. Peer-to-peer is very interesting. And then, and then um, after Drivey, Daimler, Mercedes-Benz, became very interested in this and started Cruve on the, on the top of this and ended up buying Turo, doing peer-to-peer car sharing out of the state. So you see, all of a sudden, a market that says this will never happen already has one of the largest players in automobile manufacturing as a platform sponsor. Any idea about uh, in terms of usage or number of users that these platforms have? I mean, is this something relevant or uh, just something nice and neat to you know, read about and see? No, I think it's certainly relevant. <clears throat> uh, and I think that this is one of the platforms, that, it's very hard to find some of the data. And, but I think that if you um, just simply download the app from uh, from the App Store and have a look, uh, if you live in a relatively, uh, a re- relatively large city, then you have access to probably your neighbor's car already and you didn't even know it yeah so i doubt uh, that one of, these things that, one, of, one, of, one of these things that, that grow yeah and there's an exa- examples of of uh, people that i know in munich that have uh, their model s's or their model x's on Turo, and they let the car run during the week with business people coming into town or uh, tesla drivers that refuse to take any other kind of so car you know and on I, the weekend was, they drive out of town i was about to get a car to go or drive now just after right. our recording here I'll check it out. I'll, check I'll it try out. it. Yeah. I'll you try let me know. You let I'll me know. Try. Yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> so, so really looking at the industry now, any what we say to the listeners, the top five players to watch, and you mentioned now Toro or Drivey was the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, what other players do you think in terms of mobility? I know a broad question, but what are the most interesting players that you see around currently? And I'll give you my EVs first. Yes, go ahead. Uh, Tesla, obviously. Still, uh, way way ahead of everyone else, and with a very interesting next list of to dos. In China, you have three hundred, four hundred electric car startups. The most notable are um, Neo, Byton. You named Evelocity. Uh, uh, oh, Evelocity is Chinese. Uh, oh, Chinese, yeah, yeah. but okay. based in California. And then you are Chinese. A, a number, a, a large Chinese investment. Then you have Faraday Futures. Uh, who are now seeking capital to stay in uh, production or stay in development, and then uh, Lucid Air, who are also who are also in California uh, with Saudi Arabian investment. So you have a number of let's say core startup EV organizations. EV meaning electric, electric vehicles, vehicles. <laughs> pure electric, uh, and with pure electric focus, basically greenfield. Obviously, barring from experts from some classic car. Um, disciplines, but but mainly focused on electric powertrain and battery. Uh, then you have the uh, traditional automotive. The the top uh, there would probably be Nissan, who's been in longest. Renault, uh, also uh, around for uh, quite a while. Up and coming is Hyundai. And then you have uh, obviously your German uh, Germans to watch: uh, VW, Audi, Porsche, BMW, mm-hmm. who also have had projects and press releases and uh, some real experience with electric vehicles. And then it remains to be seen if uh, these press releases actually become driver, I, I, drivers I, or not. I sense some uh, <laughs> irony there when you say press releases, projects, etc. So it doesn't feel like these German car manufacturers are there yet completely. Well, I, I, the reason I say this is that you know when, once you've seen a lot of this happen and a lot of promises have been made and, and and some promises not met, I think it becomes very real to to have a physical car to test drive to know that the technology is uh, in, integrated into a complete vehicle, mm-hmm. and that we're not talking about um, pet projects here. And I would say that um, the potential is there for all of all of these automakers to, to make this step. But uh, certainly it is hard to ignore uh, the current cash flows and the expectations of the shareholders, uh, nor, only, to, only to focus on uh, the idea of innovating for an age that some have not yet accepted as, a, as, as, as being a, a, de- a definitive future. There is a saying, uh, actually, that Germans are usually rather late adopters or smart followers or whatever you want to call it. But then once they agree to something, once they accept something, they're very good in executing and then catching up 
I always like this uh, comparison with the cuisine where, you know, the French cuisine was always way ahead, but then now look at the number of one, two, three-star restaurants in Germany. Uh, very, very interesting and lively uh, culinary uh, scene, so to say. How do you see that in the German car manufacturers? I know you are a constant, let's say, visitor or, or consultant to actually the board level, C-level of these uh, players that you just mentioned. What is the sentiment there? How do they, are they in full panic? Are they still ignorant are they arrogant are they what is it like well for the most part the people that i consult in these companies they, they're not even themselves driving in the electric cars that they seek to develop so to me that says something that says the most about the situation they're currently in it's the the blind leading the naked so to say i think that if you were to address where if they know or not that this must happen yes they do They, they are very aware that they have to change to the changing mindset of their customers. However, if they accept this for their for their own uh, for their own realities currently market realities, this is uh, this is still uncertain. I think it's sort of like someone who is a meat eater trying to sell someone a vegetarian dinner. They're not going to really talk it up much. They're not going to set very high expectations, and they're certainly going to have something else to offer you in case it all didn't work out. And I think that's sort of where we are. It's, it's really balancing a portfolio. Uh, one of the reasons that Tesla was so successful in this step is that they were able to go under the radar, sort of ignored or not taken seriously long enough to establish themselves. And now there's a good bit of catching up to do. So now, I believe, given the, the, the diesel gate uh, issue as well as the changes that we talked about before, I think a certain panic mode has set in. And I think this panic mode currently now puts them in situations where they have to make difficult decisions about their employees, the number of employees they require, the number of suppliers they require, if they require a dealer network, um, and are they willing to make very difficult decisions about dismantling, disrupting themselves from within and not only letting the disruption come from without. And that's where I think that's where we find ourselves right now in very exciting times. And, and what do you sense or view internally at these uh, companies? Um, is this something that they're doing internally, really disrupting themselves, which I personally believe is quite impossible for these legacy companies? Or is it something they would rather do kind of aside with a different team and mindset, other skills, etc., investments you talked about? So, so what's the strategy or what would you consult on? Well, in the days when I started at Mini, let's just go back to like traditional, traditional. Yes. When Mini's, Mini was launched, our team was virtually all coming from outside of the car industry. Uh -huh. uh, Coca-Cola, Nike, Henkel, Sony. Uh, no one was a real car person. Very few. Uh, less than 5% of our team. And so I, I take that and I extrapolate that to, uh, to where we're doing right now with EV, where, where I would say that the, the, the next step has to be uh, clearly a much more difficult difficult step for them. Don't know exactly where that's going to go, but I think that a clear focus is necessary because that disruption, like you said, will not come from within. I, I think it's nice to have a nice workshop <laughs> and chat about uh, uh, digital transformation and uh, cultural change and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, visionary future and urban technology meets uh, human-centric mobility. But in reality, you have to be willing to throw away an entire way of thinking, and start again. And I think that disruption comes from without. And the disruptors have been uh, Tesla, but let's not say that Tesla is a car company. Let's call Tesla a Silicon Valley software company that is able to harness the power of a battery, manage a battery, manage a powertrain, a digital ecosystem, and, uh, and roll that out on a digital sales platform. So they're not really a car company, but however they do make cars. Uh, that is a that is a very 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 different way of looking at it. Another disruptor here, I think, is going to be the insurance industry, because the insurance industry also having a close link to digital, the digital world, uh, being a digital, uh, basically working with zeros and ones in form of of money and moving money about. Uh, they also have to assess risk, and as we move away into new models, perhaps not ownership, um, new models of 
insuring a car, perhaps only when you're using it, when it's standing around, it's not used. If you drive like a good driver, you pay less, as if you would have your insurance based on if you did or did not smoke or did or did not walk and run or keep in, keep fit, like you said. Mm-hmm. And they will be looking at the industry to have a new opportunity to sell revenue for mobility and to assess really what it means to be to cover the risk of uh, of managing of uh, managing managing risk when someone's being mobile in a car or a plane or a or a, 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 or any other mobility instance yeah, or on an e-scooter <laughs> mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. case mm-hmm. interesting and coming back to tesla uh, you just mentioned and you obviously were inside tesla for a few years and gained some insights there you also shared a picture with me where you said this kind of shows everything of tesla the good the bad the whatever uh, you had in your mind. Can you comment on that a little bit? Oh, yeah, it's a picture pic- with yeah, you, yeah, a few yeah, guys, and right. also Elon Musk. Right, yeah, that was, uh, that was like 10 years ago last month when we were all in Stuttgart when Daimler invested 50 million, bought 50 million shares in Tesla, which was actually helped. Uh, Interesting. Helped, so helped, uh, helped I Tesla missed that in my research. Yeah, Daimler in 2008 already invested into 50 million shares of Tesla. Correct. Okay. And that was the meeting we had just, uh, Elon had just signed everything and we went as a small team to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what is great about Tesla is obviously Elon and his vision and what he as a uh, engineer, material scientist, as well as a visionary salesperson was able to convince uh, Daimler at that time to follow his vision. Everyone else sitting in the picture was my boss, my team, that were launching Europe at the time. None of them are still there, but Elon is. <laughs> so the good and the bad is that one, a lot of it hinges on one person to believe in something like that for long enough. Uh, the other thing is obviously the, this world that we're talking about is a, is a very hard world because you're constantly working on you – you're working against everyone else with an idea that is untested, un, untried – and at the same time, you are facing a lot of no's in the market, especially in Germany. You know, that's not the way we do it. We never did it, we never did it that way. Uh, you, you, there's no way they can build that car. Eight years, ten years later, you can say that every single premium automotive manufacturer in the world has Tesla as the benchmark in most every area except for body and wide and build quality. So... If you, if you can see it that way, then you can imagine that if we're talking about future technologies and urban tech and human-centric mobility, making making mobility seamless for people, they've they've ticked a lot of a lot of a lot of checks and a lot of boxes. And I think that's the the good, bad, and the ugly all in one. It moves incredibly quickly. I mean, you came obviously from BMW, but they're working within a rather, let's say, dynamic environment with Mini, but still at a traditional car manufacturer yes. coming to Tesla. What were the most striking differences? Well, the most you... striking difference was that most of the people I dealt with, well, I built my entire team here in Europe, um, starting with the first technicians that we had to find, the first press people, the first people that would help help uh, um, create uh, uh, create events, and the first salespeople. So I, I, I created that team. To, to interrupt, this was a s- rather sales-oriented organization, no engineering here in Germany. Uh, there was technical servicing and, servicing and product development here because uh, that, that, that is the one thing that I noticed was different than, than, than at BMW. Most of the people I dealt with in California had no car background whatsoever. So they were very excited to hear that I was driving over 200 kilometers an hour on the highway and they had this data. So I would go out driving the car just to acquaint myself with the car and I would send them this data and they would just go crazy like little kids. Oh my God, you have to send us that data. And they would take it apart. They're really software guys, right? Really just understanding the capabilities of their technology. And the car was being built by Lotus. So we were facing a lot of other challenges, you know, in Germany, I requested winter tires, for instance. I became known as the winter tire guy. But I did have to tell people in California, we have snow. We went straight from California <laughs> to launching in Europe and driving around in Austria and Switzerland. I was regularly driving from Munich to, 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 to Zurich, the first two stores I opened here with my teams. And on one battery charge, by the way, in 2008. Okay. And, and I really appreciated winter tires. But, you know, that's, a, that's just the funny things about it. You, know, you, you didn't even have those basic things in mind. But they had really understood that I could drive 
uh, in a, an electric car at virtually any temperature, uh, 300 and some kilometers in 2008. So I think that that's you know that this was the really big jump, right? Mm -hmm. And then what 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 did I what did I really um, really appreciated with that was that they were really looking beyond the basics. They were looking into the critical competences that you need to have to be able to create the mobility of the future. We're we're not talking about fine tuning one percent efficiency. We were gaining through these through these files that I would upload, we could reprogram the cars, update the software, and gain 10% range overnight. And these were leaps and bounds. And, and these leaps and bounds have not stopped. And that was, that was one of the most interesting things about working with, with, these, with these kinds of people. And obviously an infectious, uh, an infectious uh, viral passion around doing something that, uh, that was uh, to believed to be totally... Uh, impossible uh, driving with the power of the sun in your tank you know mm -hmm. uh, how many employees did Tesla have back then uh, I think as I came on board it was about 150 and there's an interesting East. story how you recruited your first technicians oh yeah well, I, 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 sharing that? I, I, I can't go into too much detail there but I can tell you that um, I didn't I didn't necessarily go to German automobile manufacturers um, I found out very early on that uh, the conversations were too long and the lack of faith and or lack of being able to prove something was was a bit too too weighty too unwielding uh, unyieldy uh, unwieldy but you had to um, find someone who had a passion for um, performance and a passion for creating something that never existed before and someone that also was willing to be kind of a MacGyver kind of person MacGyver, right like you know you, you had to you had to really think I mean seriously out of the box sometimes mm -hmm. you had to be really ready for anything and I mean this not only on the technical side but also on the press communication mm -hmm. side also on the on the on the product sales side and um, you had to be ready for much pretty much anything so the first people that I that I went to find were were very much MacGyvers in their own right and, and they are all very happy for the decision that they made and M most all of them are still uh, only active in electric electric vehicle space. What other skill set do you need as a technician? I'm thinking about you don't have the internal combustion engine, no lubricants, I guess. I'm not a technician, as you can uh, hear, but aren't there different skills necessary? I mean, for the battery, I guess, or what's it usually that the, the, the electric cars are getting maintenance for? Well, it's still hardware, yeah? so there's still physical <laughs> Yeah. Issues around driving a car. Tires, you know, brakes. Tires, brakes, they're bang ups, things things break, they get crashed, they get uh they get uh, stolen, <laughs> uh things like that. They have to be replaced, repaired. Uh, however, with an electric car you have a much le much less complexity as in an ICE, a traditional car. I see in internal combustion engine car. Mm -hmm. You don't have exploding bits, you have fewer moving parts. Uh, if you're going to work on these cars, apart from the cosmetics and, and physical uh, reparations, you have to be a software person. You have to understand electricity. Um, you have to understand mechatronic. Mm -hmm. a combination of mechanics and, and electronics. And, and you have to, have to also uh, learn as you, a lot, learn as you go. Because there are not necessarily schools out there set up for doing this uh, yet. It's Talking of which, would you, doing. would you think the current German Ausbildungssystem, the apprenticeship, um, is fit for a future of electronic vehicles where we have, I think, mechatronics being trained to work for, you know, Audi, Porsche, VW, etc. in their... Um, the, yeah, the, in their uh, workshops, yeah. Workshops, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the training is sufficient or, or Well, let's put, it, let, let's put it this way. Long before the advent of the electric car, software developers were already in great need at the car manufacturers, and that was already one of the big bottlenecks. So I think that a little too slow to catch up there. I mean, it is happening, <laughs> and it'll, it'll happen as, as, as quickly as the automobile industry supports it. But as you know, there is still a strong academic approach towards research. Research is typically driven by different players in the market that are able to sponsor certain directions of focus and when you do that then it can be that you don't have a laser focus on moving towards an electric vehicle or convincing students that this is the way forward but i think certainly now there's enough electric mobility devices 
that are in the market that that really can convince um, young people uh, to seek it out, right? I, I don't think that we can expect it to be created for us. I think that young people have to seek it out. I mean, you've got electric scooters, electric skateboards, electric bikes. Uh, we now have uh, electric cars. We have uh, here in, in Munich an electric, uh, electric. they do, would not call an electric airplane, but an electric robo-taxi. Uh, so Lilium. Lilium. Yeah. So we're going into aviation as well. I think that the, this opens a huge... Um, potential for the imagination for young people, also places for them to go to find um, interesting and engaging work uh, that is that is uh, that is impactful for the future. So uh, these things will catch up as fast as we let them. And I, I encourage everyone uh, that that looks in this direction to also think about uh, what 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 has the most impact and and uh, where they can add the most value and 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 focus on uh, some of these technologies because it certainly doesn't make sense for for me to look into diesel technology any longer yeah um we just you know touched upon your um experience working at tesla and also working with i mean elon musk is a public figure, everybody very interested in, in this personality. What did you find most inspiring working with him and what was most challenging in your daily works or, or whatever routines you had with him? Well, I think um, first and foremost, um, he is uh, probably the most interesting individual you can ever hope to meet and work with. He is a visionary, uh, has no boundaries, no limits whatsoever, uh, and, and he is able to impress upon you his passion very, very quickly. And he always used to say to us, what can, what can I do for you to make you do your job better? And I thought that was always amazing because regardless of the stress he was always under and, uh, and the, the, the requirements on him as a person, he, he was always engaging you to know that you were being supported to do what we all agreed to do together, right? It was very much a team team thinking, right? As time went on, the pressures probably did increase. A lot of things got very, very difficult to manage. Uh, and so I think that his, his constant pressure and his constant focus is not for everybody all the time, right? Uh, in addition, he's working all around the world at all the time. Uh, all the time, you know, I don't think he sleeps at ever. At ever, uh, when you're working in Europe, and and you that's also the have about him, right? It, what you would read in the news, but uh, that's, well, I mean, that's you your experience to, yes, as well. You know, I I experienced him only from only from the Tesla Motors side, but I know that he has some four or five other companies. At that time, it was mainly SpaceX, where he spent most of his time, and I think he still does. And I imagine... Well, he spends more time with SpaceX. I than would imagine that he spends a great deal more time with, with SpaceX than Tesla. I think from a consumer point of view, it probably looks like Which is a rocket company that sends satellites to the... You exactly. Know better. Yeah. Exactly, and has and has actually revolutionized the, the uh, aerospace industry, right? Uh, and not to go into that too much, but I think that that's where he spends a lot of his time, unless it's maybe some um, some um, highly focused activity with a Model Three launch, where he was, you know, sleeping in the factory floor. Uh, uh, those kinds of things mm -hmm. they get a lot of attention because we're consumers and we, you know, this is the reality show, and so we like to watch that. But I think um, from a, from a, and I only assume this, but I think. To a certain extent, uh, SpaceX is his his dream. Uh, to to what does he say? Land on Mars, but not on impact. Uh, die on Mars, but not on impact. Uh, <laughs> is his is his long term uh -huh. uh, long term dream. So I think a lot of focus goes there. But nonetheless, the um, the technology that he was working on with Tesla, not only the uh, electric motor technology, but especially the um, energy uh, mobile energy storage uh, and the software behind that, which he then added with uh, Solar Cities and with um, SpaceX and with the Boring Company and with OpenAI, you can see that all of these ventures go in a direction which is uh, his, uh, I think his dream, the space, space travel. Mm -hmm. So again, when you're dealing with someone um, who thinks in, these, in, these, in this magnitude, in this scale, in this, with this kind of vision, it's, it's always, it's always uh, amazing. Uh, unless, of course, you have to execute everything on a dime all the time everywhere then then it can it does have its it does have its limits from a from a from a human bio, bio biophysical standpoint <laughs> right. right if you know what i mean and then of course living in europe and, and and having contacts to california i can tell you in the beginning my team and and, and i were uh, were were working pretty much 24 7 365 because we we were awake and working with people locally to move things forward and then about time we're ready to 
take afternoon tea. Everyone in California would wake up and they'd be drinking their espressos on the way to work and we'd be doing meetings and they'd be like, wow, so was it a hard day? I said, well, no, but I've been up for, you know. <laughs> and then you'd clear your emails out and then the next morning there would be as many or more just overnight. Entire conversations would be decided overnight, right? And you'd wake up the next day and the world would be different. So I think that the, the rate, the speed of change now is really, uh, really, uh, really, uh, really un unbelievable. Uh, I think Elon has said uh, we're past <clears throat> exponential uh, change. We're at double exponential growth, right? And 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 it's the question how um, competitors, and I, I don't think it's really fair to call them competitors, how the traditional automobile companies are going to actually keep up with this pace. Knowing that, back to your question about where where are our needs for develop for development? If they weren't in the beginning doing uh, focusing on software as one of their core competencies in house, the, the traditional automotives, where are they going to get this knowledge now to keep up with this change of pace? When when we know that a Facebook or a Google or a, a Amazon may also think to go into uh, electric mobility, into mobility, or a, or a, or a Dyson, <laughs> who's actually also making an electric car. Interestingly enough, yeah. so I think that you know, right now, um, I would, I would, uh, I would say that uh, at this rate of change, nothing is nothing is impossible. Everything is possible. I could even imagine, a, as the automobile uh, industry changes, and we realize that the complexity of the car reduces our need for thirty to forty percent of the suppliers that we need because we don't need. A, a lot of the components from a traditional car, then I think that what will happen is is that um, we'll, we'll, we'll really have to um, expect that these suppliers may actually want to build their own cars. And I don't, and I don't put that completely out of, uh, out, of, out, of, uh, out of reality's reach. That, uh, that I, I throw a name out there, but say, what holds a Magna in Austria or in Canada from making their own car? Or a, have, Bosch, or a Bosch. Or a Bosch. Or a Siemens. In fact, Siemens used to make electric cars a long while back. And interestingly enough, Porsche, Ferdinand Porsche's first invention was an in-wheel electric motor <laughs> in, <laughs> in the late 1800s. So, you know, we're, made, we're coming full circle now. And, 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 and uh, yeah, it's uh, exciting times. Actually, uh, that, that fits very well to my next question. We both were at a conference where one gentleman said that... Um, his quote was, we overestimate what we are able to achieve within one year. However, we underestimate what can happen within 10 years. So let's picture the world in 10 years from now, 2029, 30. What do you think in terms of mobility, etc., will this world look like? Well, that's a good question. My, my daughter is now three and a half, four years old. So when she turns 14, what will she see? Will she still see so many cars here, less cars, different cars, cars at all? What's your view on that? Well, she probably won't need a driver's license. I believe that by that time... Because of autonomous driving? By, by that time, I think that you'll be able to access uh, seamless mobility, multimodal mobility in an urban situation um, over your handy for sure. Perhaps even autonomous. You said handy. Over your, sorry, yeah, over, your, over, over your, over your smart American device, right? Yeah. yeah, over your smart device, right? So I think that that is, uh, that is, uh, that is, I think for certain. I think that we'll start to win back. I think if she lives in an urban situation, she's going to win back more of the streets again. I think that parking has started to take over our urban landscape. Um, you know, I, I made. I think I said at the conference. Um, I, I would like to move away from Stehzeuge, of a Fahrzeuge. We, we call cars Fahrzeuge, moving devices, but they're actually standing devices. So I think that standing devices will 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 disappear, and and most most mobile multimodal devices will be, excuse me, in constant motion. Yeah. There's actually an interesting analysis that I found from the OECD saying that cities like Dublin, Lisbon, or Helsinki would only deliver five percent of all registered vehicles to uh, if we completely relied on sharing services, um, coming back to your point of Stehzeuge that are not used going to Fahrzeuge. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, this, is, uh, this doesn't obviously make the automobile industry uh, very happy uh, because up until now their business has been a volume, efficiency of volume, utility of, utility of their factories, and then uh, sort of a front-loading front of their 
uh, dealership networks worldwide, and that has become the, that was their focus up until so now. Pushing but now as many cars into the market as possible and just selling units, units, units. Keeping shareholders happy, keeping volume stable, uh, uh, opening new uh, product, uh, opening a product portfolio to ensure better utility and more um, production uh, locations in case of any kind of um, unforeseen requirement. So yes, that's been up until now the game and. As early as around 2013, there was already talk among uh, higher-level uh, automotive executives that um, t- that the, the peak automotive was on its way. Um, this peak was automotive peak meaning, automotive being the maximum price. volume we can mm-hmm. expect um, worldwide of car production uh, when, when aggregated among all car manufacturers. Um, Effectively, could have already reached that now. I think if you look at what's happening right now with regards to classic automotive sales, there is still a little bit of, volu- uh, of volume in the markets. But uh, as we go forward, the orders are going down. Suppliers are starting to become leaner. Um, less uh, less uh, contracts going out to suppliers. So this is already happening. And so that doesn't make them happy. However, they know this in some years. And they also know that they need new revenue streams. They also are aware and working on other revenue streams through, through car sharing and ride hailing and the use of uh, blockchain, decentralized peer-to-peer car sharing, and potentially um, um, looking at um, uh, completely other areas outside of mobility in order to leverage their brand equity, brand and brand equity in, uh, into revenue streams. Design Can you give an focus. Example? Yeah. Oh, Porsche focused on um, design, real estate. Um, others focusing more on pure mobility uh, services, some uh, in the direction of merchandising, music, um, interactive. interactive. Oh, that's uh, a quite bold move to, to have that substitute the revenues that they're making from cars. Right? Well, that I mean, uh, l- l- let's, let's, be quite, uh, let's be quite real. Some of the first employees that I took at Tesla had been working for a company called Nokia, who here knows Nokia? Mm-hmm. So I mean, this is just some do. This some is, do. This Blame is just, snake. Yeah, this is just <laughs> ten years ago, right? Yeah. And in speaking with these folks, then they had everything that that I was looking for, and certainly had realized that Nokia had gone through its peak peak years, and that completely new providers, completely new brands, were on the market with completely new ways of looking at the future. And so I think you can see how quickly that changes. And let's keep in mind that wasn't the first iteration of of Nokia. Before that, they were making, they were lumber company, and then they went into rubber boots, and then they ended up making mobile telephone, <laughs> telecommunication <laughs> devices. Um, and, they're, and they're still actually also involved in the digital ecosystems behind some of the German uh, OEMs, open uh, open systems for for uh, digital mapping in cars. So, you know, n- n- not 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 gone, <laughs> but in a in a different life uh, iteration. So th- that's why I think, and I said before, at this rate of change, and in this digital age, nothing is impossible. Anyone, anyone could effectively in the next years, with the help of uh, the technology that you can buy off the shelf, that you can, the the computing power that's either on your phone or on your computer at home, with the help of a three D printer and maybe decentralized printing uh, at your uh, local city workshop, you could potentially imagine building your own car in the future. There have been companies that have done that. Local Local Motors was actually allowing people to print and build their own cars Who in that? their Sorry? own local, local motors. Yeah? Yeah. And they're actually still active. Uh, but I, I just what I mean to say by that is mm-hmm. that um, we're, we're gaining access to new kinds of technologies, not only on an industrial level, but also on a personal level that allows for a, a lot more um, dynamic, creative solution making. And if anyone wants to go into that, uh, they and they make that choice. They certainly could. Another example is um, a company that I had uh, early contact with, ZF, in Ludwigshafen in mm-hmm. Germany. And I was at an event there with them, Electric Avenue, in 2009, and we were there with an electric roadster. We had the amazing opportunity of meeting Mr. Zeppelin and going through and talking about his Zeppelins and perhaps even electrifying them and putting solar panels on them and getting over some of his problems by putting a battery pack in instead of burning fuel. Uh, look. Very interesting conversation, and and I met some executives from ZF, and they took rides with me in the car, and they asked me very pointed questions. What's this going to do to us? We make gearboxes. What's this going to do to us? We make exhaust systems. What is this going to do to us as a supplier to the traditional energy, uh, uh, traditional car industry? And I said, well, um, you tell me. 
this is a, an amazing experience. Could you have ever imagined this in your entire life? Um, no. And that was just in the very beginning. Now they have completely changed their uh, their their business modeling, their strategies, and they're mer- they're working towards a blockchain. Uh, uh, de- uh, decentralized systems for mobility and autonomous vehicles. And they have, and they are in the process of relaunching themselves for the next age. And I think that is the critical, the critical questions we must ask ourselves. What do we need to actually do to be able to make it into the next era? Wow. I guess a lot of things we can see in the nearer future happening in this industry um just very briefly at the end of our conversation uh looking at the way you you know stay up to date yourself etc any specific resources that you'd use any blogs you still read wired or what was it where you found out about tesla the first time was it wired or well i i read a lot yeah um from pretty much everywhere you know in in my way of reading sort of everything that fits on the screen uh, you know and then if it's, it catches your eye okay. then maybe a second screen or a third i'm i'm a very much um uh i experiment myself so um i kind of keep my eyes and ears open when someone recommends me something an app to take a look at or or a person i should talk to And I welcome any kind of primary experiences. That's how kind of we met. Um, I, I welcome uh, asking questions to other people and, and, and giving them, having them give me their top threes. And, and, and by doing that, you're able to really um, network uh, your, your learning. But like I said, for me, it's a lot, uh, it's a, a lot more if I hear of something. Uh, I don't really count on someone else necessarily to give me the review. I just download it and try it myself. So I'm doing a lot of signing up for services online. I'm, if, if there's a mobility service in Europe, I probably already tried it. Um, if there's a, Have if you there, tried Moya? Moya, um, in actually, Hamburg, um, or is it only in Hamburg? Uh, I don't even two, know. Two of my uh, dear colleagues, one of my first hires in Germany, is actually working at Moai. Oh, so really? yes, I know exactly what they're doing, and I think it's fantastic. I begged them to come to Munich sooner, but you know, everything everything has its uh, priority. Moya, for those who don't know, is the VW um, company that does some sort electric, of a electric electric uh, electric. Um, ha- ha- not hailing, but it's sort of an electric taxi uh, service. With certain uh, stations. Taxi. And, yeah. Yeah. Collection taxi. And you, you sort of uh, create the, the route by, by, um, by interacting uh, okay. with, uh, with the platform. Yeah, so it's a great way uh, to move forward. Again, I, haven't, uh, I wish they'd come down to Munich. Yeah. But see, that's what I mean about this, this environment. Uh, if I look around in a lot of the e-mobility, uh, in a lot of the mobility sector right now, I see a lot of the colleagues that I have had an opportunity to work with over the last years. Um, my next-door neighbor is uh, in charge of the e-tron program at RB. Uh, another uh, friend of mine is now building electric cars for BMW in China. His brother is the CEO of Ionity. These are all people, Ionity, uh, these are all people that I had I would I would say closest to the epicenter of my first roaster that arrived. So you know, a rock on the water creates ripples, and uh, I think that that's something that's been really amazing to be a part of. And once you've once you once you are sort of in that space, then you you you, you keep you keep that uh, you keep that aura, you keep that network, and and it's a, it's amazing it's amazing those spots. So, so so to sum up, fair to say, it was worth sending that letter to Elon Musk in 2008, right? Uh, absolutely. absolutely, Craig. Thank you very very much for this conversation. Perfect. Thank, Thank you, Craig. You. Thank, Thank you. you.